This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hello there, how you doing? It's uh, Kevin Riley here and welcome to Irish Tang here on the Manitou People's Radio in Palmerston North. Etc. Etc. County Manor too, we call it. Anyway, I've got a few bits and pieces here from the Irish papers, etc. etc. But at the moment, everything has been sort of dominated by the resignation of the British Prime Minister Liz Trust. So it's going to be interesting how that leaves the protocol issue with the DUP, because they're they're hopefully they're going to, they think they'll have another uh, prime minister, a new prime minister. It'll be the fourth or third, whatever, in a matter of months, uh, taking over on Monday. So I think, uh, you know, the protocol in Northern Ireland will be way down the list, if it even on the list, given the, the state of the, the economy and uh, the general dis- disunity of the, you know, the Conservative Party. Hopefully, if this doesn't work out, that they will call an election, get the whole thing out of the way, because people are kind of sick, sore and tired of all this Mickey Mousing around. They just want some sort of stability and some sort of leadership, whether you agree with it or not, but at least you've got someone there who's, you know, Plugging along and trying to get things done. But anyway, enough of that. Anyway, what we've got here talking about politics. This is, um, I think it's a bit about, about Jerry Adams. I think he wrote it in the, the Irish, uh, what do you call it? The Irish Echo. Yeah. Last week's consen- uh, census figures have generated acres of newsprint. This is about the Catholic, uh, you know, outnumbering Protestants in the north, just, not by miles, just. And, uh, talking about now about you know the state of Northern Ireland really because of this while many people today are reluctant to uh, equate a religion with political affiliation and national identity it is nonetheless a fact that the Northern state was constructed on that basis which it was you know Protestant government for Protestant people at the time two thirds of the population were Protestant one unit one third was Catholic and nationalist um, when the census figures were published 10 years ago in December 2012 the unravelling of the sectarian uh, Headcount uh, was at the was was on the basis for the Northern Ireland would, that would still be remain uh, you know unionist and Protestant. When the question of identity was asked, forty percent of the citizens registered British only, another eight percent and defended as Brit- as British and Northern Irish. That meant forty eight percent of the the North had some form of British identity. A far cry from the sixty six way back all those years ago. Different world, really. Uh, those who acknowledged uh, in 2011 that they were uh, Irish only stood at 25%. And uh, a figure for those self-identifying as Northern Irish only was 21. That was 46% of citizens identifying as Irish or Northern Irish. Uh, Ten years later, and the percentage of identifying as British only has dropped significantly to only to 32%. While those unregistered as British and Northern Irish is unchanged at 8 uh, that means that approximately 40% of the now identify as British. The comparison for those uh, identifying as British only shows a jump of 4%. Uh, those who registered as Northern Irish only has remained unchanged at 20%. 2% identified as Irish and Northern Irish only. It's kind of weird. That brings the total identity as Irish to 567 Plus, in the last six years in the North, political union has failed to secure an electoral majority. 
uh, every electoral uh, contest since 2017, just, just like the Conservative government at present, they're kind of disunity everywhere. And uh, it's all about kind of um, egos more than anything else. Uh, well, the, the companion's vote was less than the majority of votes cast. Push simply, the Eunice electoral majority has gone, which isn't a bad thing, really. It gives it a bit more kind of flavour to the you know, representation of all the other groups that make up the North. In the Assembly election, Sinn Féin secured the largest number of pref- first preference votes and the largest number of seats. A first for a non-unionist party, Michelle O'Neill is now the first minister, designate. Uh, partition was supposed to make this impossible, part- but it, it didn't, obviously. Uh, that doesn't mean that the winning, uh, the unity referendum is a, de- is a dead cert or that Irish unity is inevitable. I don't think it is. There's going to be a referendum on both sides of the border. Uh, and that's no guarantee that people will want to see a united Ireland of some description. Uh, what it does mean is that there are more and more citizens in the North who, were, who want uh, constitutional change. Yeah, I agree with that. But it must be planned for United Ireland. It just pre- uh, presents an enormous opportunity and a huge challenge. I was reminded this week by, of an answer I give to your question about the, whether nationalists could breed our way into a United Ireland. An enjoyable pastime for those with the energy, but hardly a political strategy. That remains the case. Our future uh, needs planned. Uh, by us and not planned by London. This weekend, Ireland's Future is holding a historic conference in uh, Dublin. It is uh, doing what an Irish government should be doing, developing with a strategy, uh, encouraging discussion. Yeah, I agree with that. You've got to talk about it. Planning for the future and holding a conversation about the, the shape of the new Ireland in the you know, years to come. Back in the day, I used to be a regular mass goer. Not anymore. I have always liked the communal and social aspects of the mass, and I am comfortable with the rituals involved. This is Jerry Adams who's talking here. I uh, like all the religious services well. The Protestant ones are much more democratic than the Catholic ones, but it's hardly surprising that there is a beneficial familiarity about the Mass for folks like me, given that most Catholics of my age were reared in that tradition. That is very true. I'm one of them. And I like church music. Uh, a good choir or, or solo singer or hymn that uh, gets the whole congregation to sing is really uplifting. Most chapels and churches are also contemporary spaces. Contemplative spaces, rather holy places, and it's going to be—it's going to be in a space like that on a regular basis. Our green uh, nature also provides a space. We we have lakes, beaches, mountain ranges, rivers, parks, and gardens—perfect places for us to catch up with ourselves and to uh, mediate to reflect on the mysteries and the meaning of life. I used to do both. Now I mostly do nature. So when I go to Mass nowadays, usually for funerals, as a reminder of simpler days. That's unusual because my mother used to see when she was alive that he used to be a regular Mass goer at uh, St. Kevin's up there at the, the Glen Road in West Belfast. You know, he, was, he used to move around a bit because of the threat on his life, but he used, she used to see him at Mass along with a couple of, uh, I presume, security people with him. In my youth, troubles were filled to overflowing. Mass, I attended Mass recently, uh, and only 60 people, because I counted them. Uh, the youngest family members were uh, dark-skinned. Other young ones, including young people in my own in my own life, are reared in a more circular uh, mode. Uh, no harm in that either. Good values are what matter. And no religion has a monopoly on that. In fact, some have lost sight of the importance of good values in a maze of man-made rules and bad practice in which the institution reigns supreme. 
And the message is uh, subverted. It's all about control in some cases. Christ has been erased from uh, Christianity. He embraces uh, he embraces sinners, the poor, and dispossessed. That's why they crucified him, and they would do it again. I have really never really been comfortable with the Roman Catholicism. The only uh, holy Catholic bit that stuck in my gall, it stuck in my head when I was in my early years. Surely there were other churches entitled to respect each other. Even a school I questioned the position of Rome and other hierarchy, uh, hierarchy on, on issues, including the, the constant uh, attitude to the state of quo here in the Ireland. My uh, critical attitude crystallized as I got older in line with my political, political consciousness. But I persisted with the rise of the church because I thought it is a popular institution as opposed to a clerical one. The church was bigger than the hierarchy, I reasoned. And besides, over the years, I got to know a lot of good priests who shared my broad views. Some even when the message from the public really annoyed me during the, the decades of conflict. I never walked out of Mass when the celebrant insulted the congregation, although I understand why others did so. I stuck it out, maybe out of uh, contrarianism, contrarianism, sorry. Maybe my own understanding of the teachings of Jesus uh, maybe because I wouldn't give the hierarchy a, a political agenda. The lack of democracy in the church continued to irk me. Uh, this increased as I got older, especially the refusal to accept women as equals. In fact, uh, the women's uh, in the, uh, position in the official church is, uh, you know, not good. But it was the revelations about the, the babies, the two damn babies which finished me. The burial estimated 800 infants in a sewerage tank were too, was too much. I was sickened by that and other revelations of wrongdoing. And the cover-up and hi- hypocrisy. I knew cover-ups happen all the time in politics and other spheres, and hypocrisy is in the eye of the beholder. But in these cases, it was being done in the name of God. Mercy and that was just it was completely beyond the pale. So I stopped going to uh, weekly mass. When I go, when I do go, is. It is obvious that tens of thousands of others have also uh, abstained themselves. I also call the words of Father Des Wilson to myself and Father Alex Reed. Many moons ago, we were trying to meet uh, with Catholic uh, church leaders to discuss building a, a peace process. They were quite influential priests, these two guys. With a few honourable exceptions, they refused to meet me. I was an MP at the time, with a mandate uh, unlike any of them. Uh, but they had a mandate from God. They claimed canon law and would refuse to talk to me. You know, Father Dez told me, by the time the bishop agreed to meet with the other people, no one will want to meet with them. And that's very true. I think it's still pertinent today that they are not uh, a separate you know, species who just think that uh, you're in control and people you know, listen and obey what they are instructed to do, possibly, because those days are well and truly over. Father Des was right. That's why the church is in the state it is today. And when the Catholics, in uh, my regret that it, uh, to a certain time, it's not a bad thing, you know, that they're, they're not in charge anymore. I think democratic and inclusive society based on rights and tolerance, including religious freedoms, is more important than any church. And there was more to come there from, uh, that was Jerry Adams in his way. And get on to something completely different. Belfast City Council pushing for pedestrians, uh, pedestrian right of way in uh, Castle Street. They're going to you know, stop cars coming in. I think uh, that'll happen over in this part of the world, where some streets will be, uh, cars will be uh, 
not a lot. They've already started basically in Wanganui. When you go through the Victoria Street or Victoria Avenue there, yeah, it's uh, always kind of one way. And the same in uh, Napier. You know what I mean? It's kind of some sort of control to slow traffic down. I think it's Napier I'm trying to think of here. And they do, they do a reasonably good job. You know, positions can walk right, have their right away. Cars come and go, but slowly. Anyway, what have we got here? Belfast City Council has revealed uh, plans to uh, pedestrianise a key street in the city centre. At the council's meeting, its uh, City Growth and Regeneration Committee, uh, an official asked uh, elected members to note how the council was pushing Stormont to, to pedestrianise Castle Street between Castle Place and Queen Street. It's interesting to mention Stormont because it's basically defunct. You know, nothing's operating there because of the, uh, you know, the issues with the DUP uh, who refused to take part. And, uh, and uh, take part, and also there's, because of that sort of uh, position, there's no government really. The official, the official also described more immediate plans for the year following the reopening of Primark and the, remo- the removal of the bank, bank, bank buildings hoardings, which will involve Castle Street remaining closed to traffic between Castle Junction and Fountain Street. That was a really lovely little part of the city centre. You know, I mean? so, you know, St Mary's Chapel there, Kelly Cellars and Royal Avenue. It really is, and High Street. It's a really it's a busy little spot, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You know what I mean? It's always busy, busy, busy. There's always something going on there. Uh, if they're going to do it, it'll privatise walking, cycling, and public transport. The creation of uh, safe and green streets, good on them. And then the car dominance, it's kind of play music to my ears. Uh, Northside uh, Civic sp- Spine of... Uh, Safe green movement and a promotion of affordable city centre accommodation. That'd be interesting. The council decides the removal of the bank buildings holdings will, will close a lot of the, the bad sort of areas that they had to go through. You know, hoardings everywhere and scaffolding, and you couldn't get anywhere around. It was just it was an effort to get from A to B. So I think good on them and good luck, and hopefully it'll sort of come. It will take off. And like I said, it'll eventually come to this part of the world uh, where, you know, be sort of, they mightn't have uh, traffic-free streets, but there'll be sort of one-way traffic and little systems. Like Napier is a good example, little slow things down. It just brings brings more people into the city centre. People feel safer, that you're not having to look around every, you know, look left, look right. Good. Anyway, that's a personal view. And I, I found this uh, really interesting, I suppose. Sun Sea and Fast Track Policing Job as Western Western Australia Six uh, a Police for the Aussie Beat. This is uh, the Gardaí, the, the police in the Republic. It's a long way from an Irish policing beat, but Australia could see an influx of uh, immigrant Gardaí as a, re- a recruitment pa- campaign has begun. Western Australian Police Force, headquartered in the city of Perth, has launched a major campaign to recruit guards to their ranks. But it's the second time the Western Australian Police have sent out a call for qualified members of the, the Gardaí to entice them down under. The previous campaign ran from the mid-2000s uh, uh, and into the early 2010s and saw a number of guards relinquish their policing powers here to head to the western reaches of the sun-kissed continent. And also a continent that's kind of very prone to you know, climate change with floods, etc., etc., 
Uh, these were crowds featured in a RTA documentary, The Guardi, about their experiences in 2015. At the time, it was reported that 30 Guardi had taken up uh, taken up the offer. In recent months, the problems of new pros register roster in um, the police has put the focus squarely on working conditions in the organisation. Sources have said that a senior officer, a senior official in the Guardi, representative associate, has uh, compiled data which shows poor retention of Guardi in the force. That's interesting. Those concerns uh, could get worse as the Western Australian uh, state now seeks to track down to the Aussie beat with a recruitment campaign focused on sun, sea and the benefits of service. The issues faced by the Guardian organiser also appears to blight the Western Australian force. However, with local police union representative Mick Killing telling Channel 9 News that record numbers of police were leaving. In the last financial year, 340 police officers left the service with 30 departing uh, the job in June alone. Wow. Our people have said enough is enough. My mental health and family relationships are breaking down. There is also uh, the police union involvement in the ongoing pay disputes in Australia. Oh. Uh, the new Labour administration in Western has enabled the state to recruit skilled police officers from the United Kingdom and Ireland over the next five years under the employment nomination uh, uh, visa. This enables their transition from uh, you know, coming from the overseas and places them on a pathway to, to get citizens and become police officers in Western Australia. The Guardian who leave their jobs have been placing in Western Australia will be looking at a basic pay rate of $84,000 a year. I think it must be Australian dollars. Uh, that's nearly uh, €58,000 with five-year service. The equivalent here for the same officer is uh, 45000 so quite a, a substantial difference. And a better lifestyle, hopefully. Benefits include six weeks leave along with a host of other enticements, including free housing for some policing uh, posts, free uh, fitness facilities and support for families. Uh, the West Australian Police Minister uh, said the recruitment of the police here was part of a major plan to increase the numbers of officers across the whole region, the whole area of Western Australia. Western Australia is a good place to live in our Western Australia Police Force. And they do, do a fantastic job and they are a great force to work with. Whether you are young or single or have a family, to those overseas officers applying to come and work here in the WA Sunshine. That's the key the sunshine. The Guardian would go through an accelerated program before heading to beat in the state with city police, policing opportunities, as well as work rural, uh, in the rural areas or regions of the Western Australia. The transition from uh, the Irish criminal legal system will not be too challenging for Guardian as Australia has the same common law regime of courts as they do have in Ireland. As Commissioner of the Western uh, Police Force, he acknowledged that the Commissioner acknowledged the work of both the federal and state uh, governments in trying to get, uh, under Labour Agreement, trying to get more officers into the state. That's interesting. Eh? I wonder how many actually end up going at the end. But it is, uh, I've never been there myself. I've been to the airport in Perth, that's about as close as I got to Western Australia in transit. But, uh, you know, it's, it is a point, it's a very lovely part of the world. I used to travel with uh, some guys who were, lived some, spent some time there, and uh, they thought it was a neat place. If you have three years, uh, at least three years' experience in the, the police in your police force, you are under fifty-five. We want to hear from you. A study released uh, by the Guardian Institution in September re- revealed that uh, serving guardians said their uh, emotional energy was at a you know an all-time low, and uh, <clears throat> because it's quite a violent place, uh, you know, particularly around Dublin, you know, the gangsters and 
uh, and the drug traffic, you know, the mobs that control everything. But, you know, the, not, the average people in the, around who live in, who walk and live around Dublin have very little, they have, you know, don't think they're in any danger. The gangs are just among themselves. Uh, it's a bit like the you know the mongrel mob here and the sort of the, the, ga- the mobs that we have, the gangs that we have. A lot of the problems are usually among themselves. Anyway, so good luck to those people. And what I've got here, the Irish government. This is the Ireland government, the Republic. Uh, they have uh, approved a temporary eviction ban because of the housing issues that they have in their country or in Ireland. The Irish government has approved a temporary eviction ban for rental properties. Tennyson Republic will not be issued with any eviction notices from uh, November until March next year. So we've got a bit of a stay of execution. Uh, the Prime Minister said the policy would get the balance right to help those at risk of homelessness in the winter. And that's the key word, winter. It's coming in the, the winter time there. A body representative landlord said it was considering a legal challenge to the policy. Exceptions will remain for those who do not pay their rent or damage the property. That's just like they have here, you know. But they just, <clears throat> you don't, I mean, they're, not, they're going to ban evictions, but that's like when people and landlords and tenants have a normal relationship. But if they have people in there who are sort of destroying the property or they're not paying rent, etc., they can still apply to see their, you know, have them evicted, which is fair. And it is, it's, you've got to do it. It's as simple as that. You know, you've got an opportunity that you want to be some sort of uh, security tenure anyway for a few months during the winter, which is, uh, you know, a good thing. Because at the end of the day, landlords, um, all the power lies with them at the end of the day. You know what I mean? They're the ones that have control of your life in many respects. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Hopefully it'll all work out and the vast majority of people will uh, play by the rules and, uh, you know, have some sort of secure uh, accommodation, particularly for the, the ones, you know, families in particular with children because that's really, it really is important because we had a real issue with that here a few years ago in uh, New Zealand when uh, Ruth Richardson and John, uh, yeah, John Luxton brought in, you know, State rents, you know, housing, you know, state market rents for state housing, and the sell off of thirty three thousand plus state houses, you know, that caused enormous problems for families in particular. People were leaving because they couldn't afford the rents, and, and the state house, and they moved to you know Piatur, Woodville, and all the other surrounding areas with uh, lower rents. Hopefully, and that wasn't always the case, but it was, and all those kids got moved from school to school, etc., etc. It was just a disaster. It was just social problems we were keeping for the future. It was just bad policy, you know what I mean? Ill thought out, but mostly thought out by people who really uh, don't rent a house themselves. I've got no bloody idea of the ins and outs of uh, of renting a property. Anyway, anyway, uh, talking about winter, this is it. The, the National Health Service, this is in uh, you know, the UK, is setting up war rooms as it prepares for one of the toughest winters in its history. And a lot of the staff, health leaders in England, set out winter resilience plans. This includes a new 24-7 system control centres, which are expected to be created in every local area. Yes, every local county, basically, in, um, but definitely in the UK. These centres will be expected to manage demand and capacity across the entire country by constantly tracking beds and attendances. They will be manned by clini- clinicians and experts who can make quick decisions about emerging challenges in the health service. Uh, the data-driven centres will be able to spot when hospitals near, are near capacity and could benefit from mutual aid. 
whatever that's supposed to mean. And where A&E are especially busy, ambulance will be diverted to nearby hospitals with more space. Meanwhile, National Health um, Service in England announced plans to expand response services so people are treated in their homes, avoiding unnecessary trips to hospital where possible. Official estimates that this could free up around 55,000 ambulance trips each year. Other plans include uh, respiratory infection hubs, which will aim to offer patients same-day out-of-hospital care for COVID, flu, acute bronchitis and pneumonia. Uh, more hospital bed spaces and more than one and more one one and nine nine call handlers. Twenty four seven access to professional mental health services and ambulance and ambulance service. Uh, the, the chief executive uh, of the National Health in England, uh, Amanda Pritchard. Winter comes hot on the heels of an extremely busy summer and with the combined impact of flu, COVID and record uh, staff vacancies, in many ways we're facing more than the threat of a, a twindemic this year. So it is right that we prepare as much as possible to you know, try and counter the uh, anticipated chaos that could uh, happen in our country. And it is because they are, we're, you know, we have shortages here, but, you know, uh, so do uh, all other developed countries, you know, the shortage of skilled labor is really a, a big issue. It's kind of weird, but it'll come back to the day when unemployment will take off again and it'll be, unemployment will be the issue, you know, not sort of lack of staff. Anyway, what got here? Uh, Derry's, Derry Girls screening could help Good Friday Agreement understanding. This is from a Northern Ireland Affairs Committee. Uh, showing the final episode of Derry Girls in Schools Across the UK could aid understanding of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement, a British politician has said. The final episode of the Channel 4 drama included a poignant look back at the 1998 and the atmosphere in Northern Ireland at that time. Secretary of State Chris Heaton has told the Northern Ireland Affairs Office that he feels there is uh, education to be done around the importance of the agreement and its impact. Mm, that's interesting. He was pushing for, uh, you know... To support the DUP and uh, the protocol problems that they're, issuing, uh, that they're having, and they're threatening to, you know, completely pull out. Uh, they have pulled out, but you know, close down the whole uh, agreement in uh, the north. The final episode of the series was a poignant telling of the vote for the Good Friday Agreement through the eyes of the protagonist, and. Uh, in this issue, it was also revealed that Michelle's brother was serving, she's one of the actresses, was serving a prison sentence for his IRA activities, and Erin and Michelle both fell out over the, the morality of involvement in terrorism. Uh, Heaton uh, Harris recalled motorways in England being close on occasions uh, during Northern Ireland's trouble due to bomb threats and referred to plenty of unbelievable tragedy. I've been very worried in a very short time just with the problems that the people in Northern Ireland had to go through and the issues that they face on a daily basis. I don't think they'll quite understand the importance of the, the Good Friday Agreement and the peace that has flowed from it. Um, so it's been hard won over a long period of time and it must must stay in place. I think most people would agree with that. And now, I find this kind of... You know, the people in Northern Ireland, it's just kind of, not that I should say that there, you know, the people, a minority, a very small minority of people, just kind of, you know, basically bigots. Sectarian graffiti uh, targeting James Nesbeth on a wall in Port Rush has been labelled disgusting and appalling by Sinn Féin politician, uh, Mr Archibald, I think that is. Pictures of the painting of crosshairs circulated across social media on Wednesday. 
Uh, James Nesbitt is a serious actor. He's done, you know, been in a lot of productions. Bloodlands, I think, was the last one he was in. He's a, you know, he's a good actor, and he's done a lot of work. And he was the reason why they're targeting him is because he took part in this uh, Ireland conference uh, that we spoke about. Well, Jerry Adams mentioned, you know. Uh, I mean, it was it was just a discussion, you know, a conversation. Things that have to happen, you know, they, were, they, were, they didn't have any authority to actually do anything as in, you know, pass laws, etc., etc. But it was good to have a, a general discussion from all sorts of uh, people from all different backgrounds and political uh, you know, ideologies. Anyway, the vandalism comes following Mr. Nesbitt's appearance and keynote speech at Ireland's future event there in Dublin in the last month. The North Coast uh, Native spoke of a new union of Ireland at the rally, which supports Irish unity and featured appearances from nationalist politicians, uh, leaders of Sinn Féin, the DUP, or rather the SDLP, and the Deputy Prime Minister of the Republic. Uh, prior to the event, the Korean star, uh, born, that is, Korean, lovely part of the world, uh, who is from a unionist background himself, told the Belfast Guard, there needs to be change here, and that's coming from someone who loves coming from this part of the world and proud to come from Northern Ireland. For too long, we have been uh, a bit stuck, and I want to lend my voice to uh, to see what can change, which I hope is maybe much more of a, a people-led approach to challenge, uh, to change, rather than the political, you know, politicians being forced upon us. I'm not sure that uh, what the future of Ireland looks like. I haven't seen it yet, but I think we all need to evolve and engage in a much more public discussion about it, above it all. And good on them, because I actually totally agree with that. You know, they do have to have... Uh, Discussion and <clears throat> yeah, basically just to have a discussion and uh, to see how things are going, get other people's views and see what happens. And, you know, like I said, I don't believe you know if they have a referendum that there's no guarantee by, by a country mile that people will vote for a united Ireland. But it'll be interesting now that you know the still chaos that the UK finds itself in. I think that's going to speed up. It's going to change people's minds about a lot of things, and hopefully. You know, they they can get form some sort of leadership and actually run the country for a little bit longer. But I think in general, like most people over there, because I, I speak regularly to my family in you know, in the north, um, and you know in Belfast, and they just want an election. They've just had enough of uh, you know. They think you know Westminster has completely passed its use by date, and people are really fed up. The cost of living in particular, and the cost of fuel and power, etc., etc., people are really, really suffering big time. You know, things have gone up, not just by a few dollars here and a few dollars, but by serious, serious money, you know, in the thousands of pounds. Anyway, that's me for this week. I will uh, catch up with you again next week. Okay, so take care. And enjoy the long weekend that we're about to have. And hopefully the weather will improve. It's not the weather. I mean, the sun comes out. It's just that damn wind. Anyway, catch you later. And take care and be kind to everyone. Bye. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.